0: King Xerxes had a giant banquet and whatnot and um, a lot of people came and a lot of them got drunk because they had, all had wine and so he wanted to show off his wife, his, the queen, to everyone and so he went to go have Queen Vashti um, come out in all of her robes and all of her pretty clothing and whatnot and be paraded and she said no and so he took offense to that Because being the queen, you do what I say when I come, when I order you to do it. And so they had, he had her like be no queen no more, like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so then he consulted all of his nobles and people and said, what shall we do to find me a new queen? And so they suggested, oh, get all of the young um, virgins to come and, We'll go through like training and whatnot in preparation, and you will go see them and see which one you want to pick. So, um, Hagai was in charge of taking care of them and whatnot, and Esther was found in favor of Hagai, and so he made like special treatment for her and treatment. They're like that's a lot of treatment. You go through six months of like perfumes and whatnot and then you go through six months of like wearing stuff, I was like, that's a long time. That's a really long time. So anyway, um Esther went to go see the king and he was like, This is a really nice girl. I like her. I think I might want to make her my queen. So she did so he did. But prior to that she didn't have really have a family. She was raised by Mordecai, her cousin or uncle. I don't know. It says cousin, but it says uncle. I don't know. Weird. So Mordecai told her at the beginning, don't say you're a Jew. Don't, they don't need to know that you can get in trouble. Let's not. So she didn't, and whenever she was crowned, crowned weird, um, <laughs> Whenever she was crowned queen, she had this huge banquet thrown for her because you do that—you throw banquets and parties when you're celebrating stuff. So, blah blah
1: blah, did that
0: banquet? Okay. So after the banquet, the other remaining young ladies—they went again through more um, treatment, I think—and they stayed in the king's gates and whatnot. And Mordecai sat at the king's gate every day, checking up on Esther, seeing saying what's happening, how's everything going, are you okay, and whatnot. Doing the normal parents to Esther. Um, and one day, he overheard, um, I don't remember how I said that, I Anyway, two um, gatekeepers who were there and they were pretty angry at the king. I don't know why it doesn't really say. It's just saying that they got angry and they plot had a plot to kill him. Well, afterwards, uh, Mordecai went to go have a message sent to Queen Esther and told them, hey, these two guards are, gonna plot to, are, are plotting to kill your king. You probably should do something about that. And so she did. She told him, and he had them hanged you just don't do that. Um, (laughs) And um, after she told him, she said, um, my, I don't know if she knew or told him that he was relative, but she told him that Mordecai is the one who overheard this and whatnot. So all the credit went to him, not to her. So the king investigated it to make sure it was real and not just something that he Came up with, and it was true, and they were hanged. And then afterwards, the king honored a guy named Hammond, who was a son of a really long name. I didn't write that down. So <laughs> and um, he put Hammond on a really high ranking, like he was top, like you bowed down to him whenever he wanted you to. And so one day, um. Everyone bowed down to him uh, but Mordecai. Because he's like, I'm not bowing down to you. You're not higher than my God. You don't have that right. Not happening. So, got some guards, new guards, um, asked Mordecai why he wouldn't bow down. And Mordecai was like, I'm not telling you. Like, nothing happening. So, after a few days and whatnot, still nothing, then the guards went and told Hammond that, hey, this guy named Mordecai isn't bowing down to you. What are we going to do? Because Mordecai did disclaim to the uh, the guards that he was a Jew. And so Haman was really mad at him because he wouldn't keep bowing down to him. And so he was like, I want Mordecai killed because I want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Haman told the king to make a decree and make a law that all of the Jews were to be killed if they didn't bow down to him or something, or just killed at all in general. And so, Haman had all of his crew member, all of his soldiers and whatnot. They go went out into all the city to go gather up all of the, the Jews, and there was a lot. There was a lot of Jews in Susa. Right, that's right. Yeah. That's right. um, And so then whenever Mordecai heard of this, he tore off his clothing and he put on a sackcloth and ashes and went into the city and wailed a lot, like, yeah, very loudly. And he continued to do so and went to the king's gate, and some of the maidens of Esther were around there, and they heard him wailing, and they were like, what is your name? And they said, Mordecai, and so they went and told Esther— and Esther was like, what the heck? Are you okay? Like, here's some clothes i will make you be all better. But he's like, no, that's that's not okay. They're, they're going to kill all of us. And she was like, oh, geez, that's, oh, oh, yeah. Um. So then Esther sent out an Enoch, I think that's the messenger, to tell them what happened. And Mordecai told them that the king had made a decree to kill all of the Jews and so Esther told him well I can't go talk to the king whenever I want that's against the law he has to call me for me to do that and so Mordecai said that if if you don't do this you and your family will perish like not good and so she's like okay she said go together no, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And so on the third day, Esther put on all of her robes and put on all of her jewels and whatnot, and went to go see the king. And he's like, oh, my, my beautiful Esther, what is it that you want? What do you I'll give you everything up to half the land if you want it. And she's like, I want you and Hammond to come to a banquet that I'm preparing for you. And so he's like, All right, cool. I got this banquet. I've got this banquet I'm going to. And so Hammond and Hammond went to this beautiful banquet and whatnot. And he's like, Again, Esther, what is it? What do you want? I'll give you up to half of the land if it's what you want. And she said, I'll tell you, I want you and Hammond again to come to another banquet tomorrow. Prepare And he's like, alright, cool. And so after Hammond left the banquet, he saw Mordecai and noticed that he didn't bow out to him, and so he's like, you,
1: it's you again, what are you doing? So he's like, I'm on to you.
0: And so he went home and he complained to his wife and all of his family how terrible Mordecai was and how he was so mad at him. And his wife suggested to build the gallows 75 feet high. Like, that's a really tall gallows, like, that's scary. Um, And so that to have the gallows built and have Mordecai hanged on them before the banquet so that afterwards he'll be all happy and go to the banquet and be even more happy and then go home happy. But that night, the king couldn't sleep, and so he had the servants read to him the scribes of the events that happened, and they told him about Mordecai and how he saved him from the guards who plotted to kill him and he's like, What did we do to reward this young man? And they're like, Nothing and so he was like, ooh, that's not okay. And so Hammond was had came to go tell the king of to like have this big parade and to build basically build himself up for killing Mordecai but he didn't disclaim that he wanted it for himself. And so he was like, yeah, let's have him be put on a donkey and have him paraded around the city and how glorify how good he is as a person. And he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Go tell Mordecai that that's exactly what we'll do and nothing other than he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I wanted that for me, not this person I don't like. I don't want to be dead. And so after at the banquet, at the banquet, um, Esther, the king asked Esther, it's like, what is it that you want, my love? What, What is it? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. She said, I want you to get rid of your decree that you have made to kill all of the Jews because I am Jewish and if it pleases you then it pleases me to not have them, to have them still alive. And so what he did is he took down the law and all of the Jews like really happy because like they're not dying yeah. <laughs> and so then on the 13th day of the 12th month so like December 13th basically um the decree was actually taken down and there was lots of triumph throughout the city of Susa and then Yes, and then after all of that, Esther also reminded the king this wasn't just me, this was my cousin Mordecai who's been here with me, helping me throughout all of this, and he's the one who should be ultimately given the credit for because I would not have been able to do this without him, and so Mordecai was ultimately still given the credit, so that's it.
2: Noah! Noah! Noah!
3: Okay. So the champion I chose out of the Bible was David. And I chose David because um, he inspired me to be a champion as as part of the Bible, too, as as part of God, because of what he did. So as you know, um, David versus Goat. David and Goliath. Um, David killed him with like no skill. So, so that's what, like, because he was, because Goliath on the, on the other hand was um, was strong, he was skilled, he was equipped, and he was like experienced with like um with fighting. But on the other hand, um, David was. It was a shepherd, and he didn't know how to fight and stuff. So I chose, me you that's know, because I'm um, David. D- knows how he didn't because um he was confident that he would um, kill goliath because he wanted. Because he wanted Goliath dead, and and his dad told him to fight with him. I mean him with the fight with his brothers and his light war Israelite war. so he so that's why he, he got five stones and only to use one to kill him so so that so what he did was was part of this, of it being a champion was he trusted in God He prepared before he went on to the battlefield to face him again. He, and he was very confident, in Goliath and Goliath was confident, but he didn't have, he wasn't trusting, he never didn't have God in his side. Joe is champion.
1: Can you guys hear me? Yeah? Okay. Um, The champion I picked is Joe because I feel like his story was flipped. Like when we go out to seek others to bring them closer to the, to the Lord, we go to the ones who are more down. And you know that they're struggling or you know they're going through hard times. But with Job. He had it all, and I don't see that. A lot of the times, we go to the rough ones first, and we don't go out to the ones who have it all. We don't try to renew their fire with God. We don't try to spark it up again. And um, Job is a champion for me because even though he had it all, even though he obeyed God, when he knew he was being tested, he cried out, and he did not hold it in. He cried out, and he showed that he was desperate, and he, he just he wanted to know why. And he felt like it should not, it shouldn't have happened to him. And um, I had someone ask me why Job, I picked Job as a champion. And what I said is because that, I just like that even someone who had it all, even God's love, he experienced great pain and loss and was honest with God. If you're honest with God, you're a champion right there. Because even if you lie to him, he knows the secrets in your heart. So there's no point of obeying it in front of his face. You need to speak it out and be honest. And so um, I just, I kind of changed, like, coming up here, what I wanted to say. But it said, um, I said, when I was writing, I said, basically, at this point for him, he thought there was no hope. He had these boils on him. He lost his kids. He lost all of his stuff. He lost everything he had. But he cried out. And that's something that I feel you, to be a champion, you can't just say, well, I had it all, I can get it back, you have to put yourself out there with God, you have to tell him, and he knows why he was being tested, and everything, and um, it was just the ultimate test, and I feel like when we go out to others, sometimes we really need to start going to others who think they have it all, because when they think they have it all, they're always looking for one thing, and that's to keep what they have, And they're not asking for anything more. They're not asking for a new relationship. And that new relationship could simply be a new relationship with Christ. And if we go out to them and we bring them closer, because sometimes they don't have this, they don't have a place to come to on Wednesday or Sunday. They're doing the same thing every day to keep the money coming in, to keep their families right, to keep their kids doing good things. So I just, and I know that when they go through tests, they're going to fall down because they're like, i've been doing so good everything's the same what changed you don't have god that's the thing big thing in your life and someone needs to show you that so job was so showed that he had all of his friends and then what i love the most is that when, is that god used Job after this big test to go talk to his friends and pray over his friends and i just feel like that that's a champion like when you're tested and you realize it, and you're getting stronger and with the Lord, and you're crying out, that you can go to the people closest to you and you pray over them. And God uses you in so many ways. So that's just my idea of a champion because you're honest. <laughs> Hi.
4: First off, I want to say Haley did good. I love the story of Esther. Um, she was a brave and humble uh, champion. That's what I got from Haley, so good job. Noah, it's awesome to see Noah come up out here. That was, that was good. And uh, Kima, I learned from that I am honest and uh, humble champion. So I thought that one was good. So I was really excited to talk about champion. Uh, who I wanted to pick as a champion this week. And so I like to look up words, so I looked up the word champion in the dictionary. And I got a person who has defeated or surpassed all rivals in a competition, especially in sports. So not too long ago, I was watching the gymnastics Olympic trials. And it's crazy to think that these people have been working almost their whole lives to get where they're at. And so I was curious, and I looked up, like, at what age is it appropriate to – Begin like serious training, and for um, a gymnast, uh, gymnast um, below like four years old, that's like, like just for fun to get your like get uh, warmed up and see how like everything is, f- how everything works. And by age four, that's when they start their serious training to begin to like really take it serious. And I thought that's crazy; that's so young. Like their whole lives, they're training to this point, and making it to the Olympics is hard, but winning. In the Olympics is what makes you a champion. And I, I believe that's how people in our world see and believe who a real champion looks like. But I want to show you what a champion should look like to us as Christians. So if everyone can flip to First Samuel 17.3, we will begin there. And my champion is David. So let everyone flip there. So verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, the, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 is it she, shekels, shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield barrier went before him. So I wanna stop there. And um, if you go back to verse four, the Bible explains Goliath as a champion. He's a nine foot, nine inch tall champion who happens to be working out because this guy's crazy. His breastplate is, it weighs 78 pounds, and he's wearing bronze um, armor on his legs, and he's wearing a helmet. So he has to be wearing over like 100 pounds of armor just on him. And his spear, it says that the spearhead weighs 600 uh, shekels, Sorry, which is like 15 point something pounds. So like 15 pounds is added to this. So he's super strong, unbelievably tall, like he's kind of like a freak, what we would call. And so, um, so he definitely looks like a champion. And if anyone looked at someone like nine foot, nine inches tall that can carry that much weight on them, we would be like, okay, no one wants to mess with them, like back off, right? Don't get in a fight with them. And so he, de- he definitely looks like a champion. And... Um, uh, so anyways, after when we read on, Goliath challenges the Israelites and says, bring a challenger, and if he defeats me, then we will serve you. But if I defeat him, then you will serve us. And so if we skip down to verse 14, I want to read that because that's when David is introduced to the story. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Beth- Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near and presented himself forty days morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son David, "Take now for your brothers and uh, what is it, Epha, of his dried uh, of this dried grain and ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them." Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. Fighting with the Philistines so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him so Jesse um, sorry so David gets up early the next day ca- going to carry um, food to his brothers and my favorite part in this whole story it's a little part that easily gets skipped over it's in verse 20 and it says uh, he, uh, it says he left the sheep with the keeper." Now, David was, David was a, a shepherd, and his first priority is to watch over the sheep. And um, I just like how uh, when his father gave him another priority, you're going to go give food to your brothers, he made sure his first priority is taken care of. He made sure that his sheep were going to be well taken care of while he went to go give food to his brothers. And I think that's awesome because it shows that David is willing to come under authority and obey his father. And so um, it's really important to come under our parents' authority and be willing to do what they ask and give them our 100% of willingness and obedience. Because, uh, because of the wisdom God has placed in your parents, it is wise of us to obey our parents and their request. So I think... Yeah. <laughs> so I think when we first... Uh, read this story we believe how boring David's life was before he defeated Goliath like he was a shepherd and for some that could be very lonesome but for David that meant he got to spend more time with God and in in that time God God began to work in David and prepare him for his future and and if it wasn't for that time spent with God David would have never been able to defeat Goliath because he wouldn't have the same amount of faith when stepping up when no one else would, because he knew that his God would be with him. And um, it's funny, because Goliath wore all this armor, but David just came, and um, we don't need armor to make us look like a champion. We just go out there. And um, and so we, we only need God. And I would like to encourage everyone right now because sometimes it feels like you're stuck in the field watching the sheep doing a job that might seem useless at the time while others are out and seem to be doing more. But I think we all should keep in mind that God in this time is preparing us for a future. He's building us up and shaping us, and we are to just be patient and obedient, and that someday when our Goliath comes, we'll be able to conquer him because we know that our God will be at our side and that with God, he can make the impossible possible. God is our personal trainer to lead us to go to the Olympics. So if we're willing to come to his, under his authority and, make, and let him make the decisions for us, we will grow to be the champions that we're meant to be. So that's my champion, David, and I would like to say a prayer so everyone can bow their hands. Father God, I thank you for this night and for the people that came. I thank you for giving us the patience for waiting in a time that feels insignificant. And I pray that everyone holds on just a little bit longer so that we may see you transform us into the champions that we are meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen.
5: Okay. Hi, you guys. Okay, I feel so fancy. I have a tablet. Usually I have, like, just a paper, but I'm feeling, like, extra fancy today. And I'm not wearing any shoes, so don't judge me. Um, when you wear, like, shoes for 10 hours at school and you're on your feet, the moment you get out, you want to take it off and just, like, chuck them out. Um, so, these kids are awesome. Like, you guys encourage me so much. So, my champion I chose was Abraham. And the reason why I chose Abraham is because it shows how God uses someone despite of their circumstances, despite if they're old, despite if they're young. And I did some studying on Abraham, and it showed that he was a believer and a visionary, and because of that, he became the father of many nations. And so I I looked up, because I like to compare, you know, words, sentiments, anthem, and all that. So I compared a believer to a dreamer. Because I want to be more than a dreamer. I want to be a believer. So a dreamer is a person whose ideas and plans are not practical or based in reality. Whereas a believer is someone who accepts something as true and feels sure of the truth of it. So in Romans 4, 18 through 22, it says, For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been promised. So numberless shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's dead womb. No unbelief or distress made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he praised and gave glory to God, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And so the way that God showed me how to bring this word about is he wanted me to compare Abraham and then compare it to our lives. So starting off in Genesis 12, 1 and 4, let me turn there. It says, Now in Haran the Lord said to Abram, Go for yourself for your own advantage away from your country, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had directed him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. And from that, Abraham followed what God had said. Usually we like to plan our lives. Like, I used to be a planner. I was like, I'm going to do this, and this, and this, and this. And then God came and was like, nope, that's not going to happen. I'm going to move this around. We're going to do that. I'm going to take that out. We're going to do that. And so I had to learn to trust God in that. And I look back on my life, like, seeing where I'm at now, seeing that I'm about to graduate college, I'm about to be licensed to be a cosmetologist, and all these things that are lining up, and I get teary-eyed, because it's like, if I would have done my own way, I would not be where I am today. And and it's so cool how when we just let go, and it says in Proverbs 16, 9, how a, man, uh, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, and he makes them sure. And if we constantly hold on because Abraham left everything, he didn't say, "Well, God, I need to, you know, handle this over here." He left. He just took off and left. He did what God had said, and I refuse to ruin the plans that God has for me because of my own selfishness. And so I'm willing to just let go and be okay. God, you take full control. And so, um, in Hebrews 11:8, it said, "Urged on by faith, Abraham when he was called." obeyed and went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance and he went although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go he did not question God because he knew God was in control and that's how we need to be as well so going on in Genesis 15 5 and 6 it says and he brought him outside his tent into the starlight and said look now toward the heavens and count the stars If you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed and trusted and relied and remained steadfast to the Lord. And it counted to him as righteousness, right standing with God. From the beginning, he believed the promises of God. From the beginning. It was never, it never doubted in his heart that God wasn't going to do what he had said. And when I came here, because I've been like contemplating, like, God, what, how do you want me to direct this? How do you want this to come forth? And he showed me, he's he, with our promise, it's like when a person is pregnant, um, like in the first month, you can't see it, you, but they, you know they're pregnant, or they know they're pregnant. So the promise is, you have to nurture it, and it's right there. It's inside of you. You have to nurture it. You have to do your part and keep the faith and keep going. And then from the moment when it comes forth, that's when the baby comes and it's fulfilled. And we have to constantly nurture it. We have to constantly be pressing in and be like, hey, God, you said what you said, now I will believe it. Because a person who's pregnant isn't going to be like, well, I'm not pregnant anymore. Like, the baby's there. So is our promise. Our promise is there. We have to hold on to it. And so um, in Genesis 22, 1 through 2, it says, and after these events, God tested and proved Abraham And said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. God said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moroa, Mora, another big word. I'm not good at English. And offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. And here we see Abraham's enduring the hardest test. Why are my hands so sweaty? Endured the hardest test. And we have to be willing to lay everything at the altar. Despite we love it so much, because as we read on, God of um died, God provided the sacrifice for Isaac and Abraham. He went, he wanted to see if he would obey. And so through that, we have to be willing to lay it as much as we love it, as much as we want it, and as much as we know God has better plans, and as much as it hurts, we have to lay it at the altar because he's in control. And then Going on, as I mentioned in the beginning, Abraham was a visionary. He saw what God was doing. And in Hebrews 11:10, we see this. He saw what God saw. So we need to have the eyes of Christ, and we need to see how he sees things and put ourselves in that position as well. And then in closing, um, in James 2:21 through 22, everybody wants to turn there. says, was not our forefather Abraham shown to be justified and made acceptable to God by his works when he brought to the altar as an offering his own son Isaac you see that his faith was cooperating cooperating with his works and his faith was completed and reached its supreme expressions when he implemented it by good works so through that we see that he lived a life by faith And through that, as we go on, it says, and so the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in God, and this was accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So that was my champion.
6: How are we doing, everybody? So, first, I do want to say, I want to give Cherish some credit. I've known her for years. She's been an absolutely amazing friend. And I want to say that there's nobody better to speak about obedience than cherish. I've seen God change her plans so many times, and not once did she get frustrated. Not once did her faith waver. She stuck with it. So I'm proud of you, and I'm honored to call you my friend. Good. That's what I want to do. All right. So now that that's over, uh, I'll I'll go back to being mean to you, I promise. Uh, (laughs) Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, the champion that I have picked is King Jehoshaphat. So it's a weird name. I know I was talking to Angela earlier, and she's like, who's that? I've never heard that name. And I'm like, it's a weird name. All right, so the reason that I picked uh, Jehoshaphat as my champion, dude is a winner. He wins. He won wars. And the reason why he won is because of the faith that he showed, uh, the trust that he had in God. So, in Job chapter 5, verse 7, it says that every person alive will have trouble. That's a shocker, right? As we go about our everyday lives, we have troubles. If it's the car not starting, if it's a relationship that's breaking, we're all going to have troubles. That's just part of being a human. That's part of being a Christian. You're going to face trouble. But the question is, how are you going to respond to that trouble? So, we're going to take a look at Jehoshaphat and the issue that he faced and how he responded. So we're going to start Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, oh, actually, some, some quick background. Uh, Jehoshaphat, so he was king of Judah. He was 35 years old when he was installed as the king. Uh, he reigned for about 25 years, and he was regarded as a king that, for the most part, sought to do what was right in the eyes of God. So this wasn't like a wicked king. This wasn't a terrible guy. This is a guy, for the most part, is recalled as always wanting to do what is right in the eyes of God. So we're going to start reading chapter 20 here. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Minuites, it's a lot of ites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazen Tamar. Um, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to, the in, to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him so this right here caught me most kings you would think they hear two not just one army two armies are coming against you you would think the initial reaction of a king would be well let me go to the war room let me get my most trusted advisors we're going to come up with a strategy to defend ourselves but jehoshaphat said no we're praying let's go right now we're praying And I would think if I was around, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? They're coming right now. Go make a plan. But he said, no, I'm going to pray. We're all going to pray. He got the land of Judah to pray. That was the initial reaction. And that right there is something that I aspire to. I know myself, I'm a very, very stubborn person. I'm very bullheaded. And as I get older, I feel like that's starting to break away. But for the most part, I'm very bullheaded. I like to do things Ben's way. I want to think of my plan first. Um, when it comes to everyday interactions. How am I gonna make this person happy? How am I gonna fix this problem? And you know, a lot of the times it doesn't strike me to just say, you know what, let me just pray. It it doesn't strike me that way. But Jehoshaphat, being the king of a land, knowing his first reaction was to say, let's pray, that's awe-inspiring stuff right there. That is absolutely amazing. So, how do you respond when you face trouble? Just think about that, because we're not done here. We're just getting started, but I want you to start thinking about that. How do you respond when you face issues in your everyday life? So we're going to go on to read um, verse five. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, "Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. Our God, you did, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people?" Uh, Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear it and save us. But now here are men from Iman, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them it did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So basically verses 6 through 12, that's Jehoshaphat's prayer to God. That's what he's proclaiming. And the thing that really gets me is that Jehoshaphat acknowledges what the Lord has done for him in the past, what he has seen God do, what he has witnessed God doing in his life. And to me, that, that right there is amazing. He's facing a difficult time, and before he's saying, God, this is what I'm going through now, he's saying, God, I know you've done this in the past for me. I have seen you do amazing things. And I feel like our human reaction, I know at least for myself, when I'm facing an issue, I think of the present situation, I think of what is going on, and then from there, I start thinking about what's going to happen in the future. Never does it strike me to say, God, you've done A, B, and C for me in the past, and I thank you for that before I talk about what's going on now. But Jehoshaphat said, I'm going to take the time to thank God for what he has done before, what I have witnessed God do, the, the land that he gave us. He gave God credit for that first before he talked about the present situation. Let's see here. So like I said, when, you're, when we're facing trouble, it's extremely easy to get wrapped up in the present situation. It's very difficult for us to, to want to kind of just slow down and go to God and just thank him and be calm about it. We, as humans, we have the instinct to just get it done as soon as possible. We don't like to think about the past. We think about the present and what's going to happen in the future. But maybe that's a mindset change that we all need to have. We need to think about thanking God for the past, what he has done and what he's doing now, instead of worrying about the future. Because if you truly trust in God, you know he has his hand over your future. So why are you worrying about that today? And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit here in another second. So another thing about his prayer. Jehoshaphat also didn't fail to remember or to thank God uh, for being the ruler over his life. Jehoshaphat even said in verse 6, aren't you the God that's in heaven? So Jehoshaphat admits and acknowledges that God is the ruler of his life and God has the ability to do anything, to, to provide for him, to whatever circumstance he's going through. Jehoshaphat was acknowledging, God, I'm going through this problem, but you were Lord of my life. I know that whatever circumstance I'm going through, you have unlimited resources to get me through the storm. And I think that's amazing. It's, it's very difficult in everyday life when you're facing problems. When the bills are up to here, I wouldn't know. I live with mom and dad. I have very few bills. But when the bills are racking up, what, for whatever reasons, when you're going through a difficult time, it's hard to remember. God can provide. He, God does not have limited resources. God can do whatever he wants, and we need to remember that God is ruler of our life. He has his hand over every circumstance, no matter how big, no matter how small. If it's that $35 cell phone bill, or if it's two armies coming against your nation that has no military strength, God has his hand over that situation. So I think it's amazing that Jehoshaphat through this ridiculous situation, was able to first give God credit for being ruler of his life, and he acknowledged what God had done for him in the past. So we're going to continue on here. So verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on to Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Joel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Druel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to, the fa- to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. So the first thing I want to point out in those verses, that short 14 through 17, the thing that stuck out to me is where it said, the battle is not yours, but God's. Your circumstances, they're, they're God's. They're not your story about how am I going to pay this bill. When you make it your issue, that's when the problem begins. When you, when you fail to say, God, I need your hand over this situation. God, I, I'm coming to you and I'm seeking your face. That's when you take your problems upon yourself. When you try to solve all on your own and you fail to look to God, then that's when the problems become yours. But the problems, your circumstances are not yours. They're God's. And God's willing to stand by you in every single circumstance as long as you're willing to seek his help in that. But what's crazy to me, and you're going to see in verses 18 through 29, won't read it all, don't worry, but Jehoshaphat is hearing this man proclaiming to him, Everything's going to be fine. You're not going to have to fight this battle. Just, just show up. You're not going to have to fight this battle. Just, just show up, though. As a king, you're going to be like, dude, you're tripping. Like, what's, how much wine did you have? Because you got to think you have two amazing military forces coming against you, and you have this guy telling you, don't worry about it, bro. You're not going to have to fight the battle. Just show up to the battlefield. You ain't going to fight, though. It's basically like going to a gunfight with nothing. You're just showing up and saying, all right, let, let's do this. The faith that Jehoshaphat had to say, all right, I believe you, let's do this, is ridiculous to me. If I were the king, I know I would have first, second, third thoughts about it. I'm not just going to say, let's do it, let's go. I'm going to be like, mmm, you sure I can't bring a knife? Like, I can take something with me huh? to show up? Okay. So let's go on and read a couple more verses here. So we're in verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohatites and Korotites, a lot of stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left the desert of Tilka, and they set out, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men, To sing to the Lord and praise him for their splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. This is Joseph has showing even more faith. As he's walking out to the battlefield, he has singers in his front row, in the front row of his army. What king is going to put singers out in the front row of the army as the first line of defense? you have to have some serious faith to say, all right, I trust God. I'm going to put singers to pr- proclaim your glory in my front line. Most kings are going to say, you know what, I'll take some singers, but y'all going to be about the 10th row back. You're going to be there, but you're going to be in the back. No, Jehoshaphat said, I trust in the God. We're putting our singers in the front row to proclaim the glory of God and how we trust in him. So, Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they were finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So basically, Joseph and his men, they showed up to the battlefield, and when they showed up, dudes from the other armies were fighting each other. Jehoshaphat was just standing there. His people are singing. The other armies are fighting each other. Jehoshaphat didn't have to lift a finger. Nothing. The battle was fought for him because of the faith that he showed in God. The battle was won. And he didn't have to lift a finger. Not a single one of his soldiers or his singers had to die. No one was hurt. The other armies fought each other because of the faith that Jehoshaphat showed in this situation. So obviously the verses would go on to show you basically that they— returned to judah and jerusalem they they praised god and awesome so sweet that was so that was the story basically of the king that in my eyes is crazy dude showed ridiculous faith he said you know what i'm gonna trust in god i'm gonna show up to the battlefield and i don't know i may die i might not but i'm gonna trust in god and this is a king running a nation Just imagine something, if that happened to someone like the president of the United States, are they going to say, you know what, I have the faith in God. You know, it's going to be fine. We're not going to send soldiers. The everyday leader, the average man, is not going to say, I trust in God. They're going to say, let me just bring some soldiers out there with weapons. But Joseph had said, no, I trust in God. I have the faith to believe that God will provide for me. And this is a king going to war. So if that's a king going to war that can show that type of faith, can you show faith over your finances and trusting in God? Can you show faith in God that he will heal your depression, your anxiety? He'll, he'll patch up those broken relationships. So what if Jehoshaphat hadn't entered into prayer the moment he heard trouble was coming for him? I guarantee you that situation could have turned out a lot differently. If he, if he would have went to the war room with his, his advisors and said, let's make a plan. We might pray later, but let's make a plan now. What would have happened if Jehoshaphat didn't trust in the promises that God gave him in verses 14 through 17? So what circumstances are you facing in your life that you may not be willing to trust God for? Just think about that. Because I'm going to be blunt. Yes, sometimes life is going to suck. You're going you're to face some really crappy times in life. You're, there's going to be some really bad moments where you're not going to want to trust in God. But that needs to be your first instinct, to trust in God. So you're going to deal with financial struggles in your life. You may deal with depression at some point in time. You may deal with rough patches in your marriage, whatever it is. But how are you going to respond? Are you going to overcome that, or are you going to try to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in God, or are you going to trust in Ben? Are you going to trust in Leroy? Are you going to trust in church? Who are you going to trust in? And if your answer is anything other than God, you need to reevaluate yourself, all right? So I challenge you all that in your prayer time, seek to be more like Jehoshaphat when it comes to showing faith. So that's what I have for you today, and I'll be handing it over to Pastor Chris.
7: Man. I've had a good time tonight Watching these kids um, As I was listening and, and to each one of them I, I started to to get a, a couple of just points of Overarching themes, if you will um, Each one of these Characters, and I'm sure I, I haven't listened To every single, sorry, Leroy, I haven't heard you sing yet I promise, I will, gu- I will Critique soon So, um but I would venture to, to throw my, my thought out there that we, we could find this true with, with every champion in the Bible, that, that they understood that God was with them. But, but they also understood that, that they had a purpose here on earth, that they were made for that specific time, and that they weren't just made to dwell, but they were, they were made to do more than just be. They were made to conquer. They were made to pray. They were made to, to fight they were made to do all these things so that just like them, we have a plan in our lives that is placed in us by God and that it is only walked out if we will walk with him. He won't push us or pull us, but if we walk with him, he'll lead us the right way. And I, I, I began to get stirred and, and more um uh, is challenged in my own life to not sit complacent, to not sit idly by in my life and just let it happen, but to be proactive in the things that God has called me to be. And I want to be a champion. I want to triumph over all the things that are put in me, the definition that, that Angela laid out as a champion. We, we face things in our lives. We, we face Goliath, but I guarantee you that it's not going to come without training. And and if he wouldn't, if David, I love David. If David would not have been a a shepherd and not have gotten his sheep out of the snares that they were, were that they got stuck in, and not gotten the fox out of the way and gotten the bear and the lion and killed them, he would not have had the faith that God was in him, and he wouldn't have recognized that that Goliath didn't have. Jesus. He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't Jewish. He didn't have God. So we walked in front of of Goliath and said, I don't care how big you are, how heavy your armor is. You don't have God and I do. Therefore, I am victorious already. Before I walk onto the battlefield, I can go. I have the confidence that is built up in the past things that have happened and seen God be faithful in every single time. I've been faithful and I have integrity and I trust in God and I will go out because you don't have what i have for if god is with us who shall be against us what goliath are you facing how many armies are coming your way there's no reason to be afraid there's every reason to have boldness to step into and it's not like it's just going to poof go away like he's going to he was talking about we will face things but are you going to cower down and wait for it to go away? Because I guarantee you it won't. But are you going to press things? The very things that are put in front of you as things, obstacles, are the very things that will propel you forward in your life that, will, that God wants to use to, to build character, to build a testimony that will glorify his name. And if you won't go through them with him, you won't ever get to the point where you want to be or where you should be or where you've been called to be. How much time are you wasting because you, you cowered down? Or you didn't open your mouth and speak the word of God in that situation. You didn't pray for that person that you felt a, a tear in your heart. You were so got into your own, I'm speaking for myself here, but you got into your own head and you said, no, that's not for now. Someone else will do it. You don't have the right words. You, don't, you stumble, you stutter, you do things that it, it won't come across right. Some, it's okay, Just, it'll happen, but it won't be through me. And you talk yourself out of it. That's not God. God has called each and every one of us to be life changers, world changers, culture breakers in our lives. And it's not like we're going to go necessarily and have an army. But you have a neighbor, and you have a boss, and you have a child, or a grandchild, or a brother, or a sister. And you wake up every single day, and there are moments in every single day that you can be a champion. That you can conquer Goliath or get the fox out of the field, or whatever it is, for that day. Because eventually, I promise you, there will be a Goliath. And sometimes the little things in our lives feel like the big things. Daphne, my three-year-old, everything is a Goliath, even when I know it's just like a tiny little, little bitty thing, right? But it's a Goliath to her, and God cares about what you face, no, no matter what it looks like to anybody else. God cares about your life and your situation. Um, Rachel has something also to say.
2: Um, I'm actually going to make the kids feel real uncomfortable in just about a second because uh, we're going to pray. But um, I just felt kind of led to share this. When Cherish started talking about being pregnant with a promise, um, like last year in July, I went through a miscarriage. Well, like now I've gone through a few. But that miscarriage, what they called it, was a missed miscarriage. And what it is, it's like, Your body's pregnant, but there's nothing there to develop. And so they described it as like cells spinning around inside, but there was nothing that was ever going to be birthed. And so as I do, I'm sure you do it too. When you face pain or struggle, like you start to search for meaning. And I know I I feel like if I can grab on to purpose or grab on to meaning, that I can go through anything. And I think that's the beautiful thing that when you serve God, even your pain, any struggle you face serves a greater purpose. And so it's like you, when you start to feel that, you realize you can pretty much face anything because you know on the other side when you look back, there's a reason you went through it. So I was asking the Lord, like, what am I going through? Like, what, what meaning can I grab on to this for? Because if you don't know, I, I mean, I've struggled with infertility, and I was devastated at that point, very devastated. And so what I asked the Lord is, like, what is this? So, I mean, I could tell you about every barren woman in the Bible. Like, I know how to hold on to promises. I know all that. And so I was asking the Lord what that meant. And what he shared with me is that that's where a lot of people are at in the body of Christ, that there is this uh, that there's been a miscarriage of, of purpose and that there's people that were, were pregnant with a dream at some point And it's like this spinning ball of cells inside that never became something that they could fully birth. And I feel like the Lord was um, sharing with me that uh, that He wants to rekindle those dreams and rekindle those purposes and and, and the spirit of, of the the people of the body of Christ that it would become something that can be birthed through prayer and that it would bring revival and it would bring um, you, know, you know just it would bring the, this shift in, in the culture and so the Lord shared with me that and so I said okay I'm going to preach that message then whenever I can because. Um, it's like there's been this spinning, like, it's like the body of Christ, a lot of people have been just spinning their wheels, and there's been nothing to grab onto that they could birth, and so um, I don't know why I felt the need to share that tonight, but if that's where you've been at, I just encourage you to pray through that place, and allow God to bring healing to what needs to be healed, allow God to reveal truth to you, um, so that the dreams that he had put don't don't feel like you've just missed it or you've given up on it that the Lord can still birth that through you um but tonight before we go I would actually like all the kids that are in youth to come up to the front because I feel like just to close even if you want to stand up we just want to pray and lay hands on them because I feel like we just prophetically need to declare some things over them tonight so yeah just like right there if you want to come up or you just want to extend your hands that's fine but we're going to pray for these kids Because I'm believing God for some crazy stuff. I know me and Pastor Chris are both believing for a movement and a revival. Um, And we were just talking to somebody about the spirit of John the Baptist and about how that's really what to live in this day and age right now. That's what has to happen. There has to be a, a spirit of John the Baptist that rises up that's willing to say repent and willing to be wild people for the kingdom